0: Hi there, and welcome to the Ecommerce Marketing 101 podcast brought to you by Dash, the visual content management tool for DTC businesses. In this podcast, we'll be chatting with marketers and creatives just like you. We'll cover the campaigns and design methods they've used to grow their DTC brand, so you can grow yours. I'm your host, Barney. Let's kick off today's episode. Welcome to Ecommerce Marketing 101 podcast. Today, I am joined by Matt Holtwick. Matt has excellent credentials in C performance marketing, and he's worked with brands across a variety of sectors. He's now a growth and retention manager for nutritious, protein-packed snack brand Chomps. Matt brings a wealth of experience to the table and has a really strong record of growing e-commerce brands, so I'm really looking forward to chatting with him today. Welcome, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. Where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Cleveland, Ohio in the US. Oh, nice. Well, greetings from a very gray and cold Brighton, UK. So let's start with a few intro questions. So, if you're in the e commerce space, you will almost definitely know about Chomps. But for those who aren't aware, can you describe a little bit about what the company does? Yeah, uh,
1: Chomps makes healthy, nutritious meat sticks. And basically, they wanted to create a high protein snack that is a clean ingredient that is cleaner than most snacks out there and actually even just break into the snacking category versus any other type of jerky brand. So it's been super exciting to help grow the brand.
0: Nice. Yeah, I can imagine. So your role is growth and retention manager. If you had to describe that, like you met somebody at a party and you're trying to describe what it is that you do, what would you say? Yeah, so at Chomps, our marketing team is actually split
1: into both e-com and then brands. And then the e-com side of the brand, which is what I'm on, we basically are driving traffic to chomps.com. So we know there's a lot of consumers that trial in-store and then come to our website to buy in bulk or subscribe, part of our loyalty program. And so that is a lot of what I am leading up in the e-com area is acquiring customers to come to chomps.com and then retaining them via a lot of different retention strategies in order to have them subscribe and be part of our loyalty program, become ambassadors. So basically I'm covering anything chomps.com and then also supporting team members and making sure that we're acquiring the right customer and then also retaining the customers as well. Perfect.
0: Well, we'll cover the specifics of what you do with the paid acquisition in a second. But I remember when we first met, you were talking a bit about the relationship between e-commerce and physical stores and how sometimes in brands, they can feel very distinct and separate, almost like you're competing. But it seems like at Chomps, you're actually working quite nicely together. You see it as part of like the same... Ecosystem. Could you just explain a little bit about that? Because I thought that was interesting. Totally. It is super interesting.
1: And I think from a brand standpoint, really, when the brand was started, it started in e-comm. So it did start with a store online. It just so happened that Chomps grew as a brand in retail and really growing from there. So, and the growth in retail is wonderful from an awareness standpoint. And I think that's why I truly believe that if people do want to trial, at retail and it's understandable that they do. That's one way. It's also very possible that a lot of our paid ads or any awareness type of marketing that we do, it does lead to that first trial purchase at retail. So that's completely understandable. And we have seen a lot of success with people coming to the website from seeing it in retail
0: based off a lot of the data that we've collected. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you're all trying to achieve the same thing, really. Yeah, exactly. How did you go about restarting your paid acquisition? Historically, they had run Google ads and
1: meta ads for many years before I started. So it was really auditing the account early on, looking back in 2020, 2019, and then 2021. And really when they were really spending quite a bit in 2021 and looking at the type of creative that they had, what type of landing pages, what their conversion rate was, what creative was working. That was a lot of part of it. And then auditing their Google ads account, seeing what they did in the past, see what was successful. And I think when turning back on it is really just taking a step back and we're not necessarily starting from scratch, but I think a lot of it was planning on, well, how are we gonna get new creative? How are we gonna just create this flywheel of both static images, but working with our internal graphics team on how we're gonna make static images. How are we gonna acquire UGC videos? Are we getting those from previous videos that we had shot in the past or creators that we currently work with? Or are we going to use a tool to obtain those UGC creatives? So I think just starting in April was really taking a step back and planning everything out step-by-step of what we needed to do in order to get started. And then really a lot of it was just starting. It was just getting things rolling so that we could start learning. The faster that we were going to learn, the better. And through 2023 is just pressure testing creatives and pressure testing landing pages by putting spend behind it and
0: finding out what works as we head into 2024. Nice. You're heading into the new year then with some ideas to where you want to like invest more in paid acquisition, those sorts of tactics. Yeah. Different channels too, not even just meta and
1: Google, but investing in podcast, how our affiliates network is going, like influencer Ambassador programs basically across the board when it comes to growth and acquisition. Just 2023 was really a year of finding out what we could do as we head into 2024.
0: Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about you called it the creative flywheel of creating new assets for paid acquisition. How have you gone about solving that challenge? I think process is
1: the most important, actually documenting a process. You know, we use monday.com. I know there's a lot of others out there. I've used Asana in the past, but Monday is what we use internally. And I think it's just putting together certain tasks of where you need to be. So if the creative brief is first and we do a lot of pre-production or creative briefs early on to find out who's our target demographic, who's our target customer, who's our target avatar, who are we trying to reach and what do we want the creative to say and story to tell? First and foremost, then we can get into who do we want to work with, or how are we going to work with that, or what are we taking inspiration from? And then I think it's sharing that inspiration or sharing ideas or sharing a Figma board of what our ideas are before it's brought to life by our creative team from like a graphic standpoint, or does it need to be like talking points or an outline of what we want a UGC partner to say? And then I think it's just acquiring those things and then running those. So Putting together a plan of how much spend we're going to put behind the creative. And then how are we going to analyze whether that creative works or not? So are we looking at the creative metrics in platform or are we looking at landing page conversion rate, the type of average order value of that customer, basically looking at all the data, find out what works and then iterating on those. So if it's static images, we'll get back to our graphics team about what we thought worked well versus another static ad to get a new one rolling and with an internal graphics team that can typically be turned around pretty quick in a couple of days when it comes to ugc it would be what type of hooks are we using you know what is the thumb stop rate you know what's the click-through rate of that ad what's resonating about that ad and then are we seeing conversions from ugc and do we need to have a different landing page for ugc videos versus static images because maybe it tells a different story maybe it's more top of funnel for those ugc rather than direct response bottom of funnel static images that have like an offer on it so really going through that process of that flywheel of testing iterating scaling or iterating it again and just going through that process
0: until we find out you know what's working best that's really the flywheel that we use and how do you factor in ad creative fatigue Is there a period of time where you can roughly estimate like, okay, once we launch this ad creative, we can expect it to start to fatigue in X amount of months? Or is it a case of checking the metrics and there isn't really like a golden rule for it? Yeah. We're always planning ahead of time. That's one of the biggest things is we'll always
1: iterate to have the best ads running so that we can acquire new customers but at the same time, never settling for that being the best. So if that's, you know, if we need to create new ads to compete against those winning ads, that's so be it. I don't think that it ever stops. Always trying to learn, always trying to iterate, always trying to find out what works best and getting feedback from the customer too with ad comments or anything that comes in through our DMs about ads or if we get any feedback internally in our CX team. When it comes to ads, like what feedback are we getting? So just always learning on what's working what's not working and how we can do better. So I just think just 1% better every day of those is really what we do. So even if an ad does fatigue, the hopes is that there's one ready to go right behind it, competing against that ad that will take the spend and be even more successful.
0: Yeah, you have that constant process behind you. In terms of the actual ad creatives that have been working, so it's having a bit of a browse through your meta ads library, You have quite a variety of different ad graphics, different types of video. Like there was this one cool like vox pop style video of where you're stopping passers by on the street and recording their reactions to trying chomps for the first time. I thought that was super cool. What have you seen working particularly well creatively for paid acquisition? Yeah,
1: I think so far what we've seen is a lot of those UGC or street videos are really like an introduction of the brand. What we've seen so far is video really being meta-targeting people for the first time at the top of funnel. And we really do see the static images being the closing ad in the basically the funnel, so being that lower funnel. We do see really good metrics when it comes to view metrics, when it comes to click-through metrics. Those UGC, but they don't have as high a conversion rate as the static images do. So we've seen a lot of our offer-focused static images working quite well with the call out for 20% off and free shipping and really making sure that's out there. I don't think that's necessarily highlighted early on in the UGC ad. Obviously, a lot of ads are viewed on Instagram stories and on reels. So they don't typically have like the ad copy right in front of their face that typically has the offer in it. But the static images really come across of a direct response of someone seeing that there's a 20% off and free shipping offer that we currently offer right now. And that's something to try. And then we see a lot of that conversion rate being a lot higher on site when it comes to the stack images. A lot of it is how can we educate the customer better in UGC and then how can we come across really well on static images. We've tried headlines that speak to the direct value props of the ad. And then we've also tried a lot of those big, bold offer explanation on the static image. So that's really what we've seen so far is that UGC videos are performing very well on platform and they're getting a lot of views. They're getting a lot of comments.
0: And then the static images are really doing very well from a convergence standpoint. So this strategy you're finding that the videos, especially the UGC videos, like the things that we've been talking about are great for brand awareness, but it's the static images that like come in after they've seen that video, you're retargeting them, which then convert. Yeah. The interesting thing is kind of
1: what I mentioned earlier about the flywheel too, it's like, that's what we know so far for what we've learned. But there's no telling in the next couple of weeks if we're able to iterate a landing page that speaks specifically to more what people are looking for from a UGC standpoint. Are we telling something that's very specific on the landing page to a static image that people are clicking through from that static image and that's resonating with them and then that's resonating with them on a landing page versus UGC? Are we not seeing as much of a conversion rate on the UGC to a landing page because it's not telling the story properly from a UGC user. And I know it's talked about a lot in e-com and D2C about landing pages and we totally believe that as well. So it's just never stop analyzing the landing page experience and having customer interviews, trying to find out what resonated well with them and finding out like what works best. And then I think just, yeah, at the end of the day, I think your comment too, like, we're not going to just let that be the status quo of how we expect things to go. We do want to still push the envelope when it comes to UGC and resonate with our customers.
0: Yeah. You want to always be experimenting and not take it for granted. That's how it's always going to be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. On UGC then, especially in order to use it for paid media, are you using platforms? Are you like reaching out to customers individually? What's the approach that you're using? Yeah. So I think especially in 2023, especially early
1: on, like in April and May and June, it was really just trying to acquire any type of UGC that we had or could acquire without like even just necessarily a formalized way of getting it. So if it's one of our creators that we have that creates organic content for our TikTok, it's, you know, do we have them produce some UGC? We currently are on the Spire for our ambassador program. So reaching out to ambassadors because they're already fans of the product. They already love the product and they may be able to give the best, most authentic testimonial for the product. And then we've also used a UGC agency to produce higher performing, faster cuts, just letting them handle the pre-production process with us from a bandwidth perspective. So are we able to spin up a lot of different creatives very quickly to be able to test? And I think that's really a mix of all of those things. If we do get a great video that's coming from an ambassador or a great video coming from Bounty, we will absolutely run that as a test and see what happens. And we can run those against the UGC agency creatives as well. So I think we don't really ever use one thing to acquire UGC. And I think we're always going to be testing, especially in 2024, like one of the best ways to acquire those things? But at the moment, it's just collecting as much as we can to test as possible in 2023, as we head into 2024, really find our groove.
0: Nice. I really like that idea of collecting UGC, but also any types of content from different sources, almost competing them against each other to see what is performing the best, rather than feel like we're going to spend all of the effort on this one set of creative, and then now we're going to switch out to another. Instead, you've got a whole set and you're letting the top ones rise to the full,
1: Absolutely. And we're doing analysis based off of where we got the UGC from too. So we're naming the ads based off of where we received them. And then we're analyzing the performance of that ad based off of where we received it as well. So we know where we should
0: invest more in. Perfect. You also mentioned you're working with a paid media agency currently. What are some of the tips that you would give to a marketer in another e-commerce brand managing a media agency? to keep the one task and make sure that they're delivering what you would want them to. Yeah, I think that I still
1: follow the same, very similar to like a flywheel process as well. Like you know, just level setting very early on strategy in the agency that we use, they have a lot of different clients as well. So they have a lot of learnings of what's working and what's not. And so they're the experts. So we take their recommendations to heart for sure. And then we can also test those recommendations as well. So I think when working onboarding an agency or working with an agency, I think it's always great to have strategy conversations with them that are not part of your typically, if you meet once a week in it's status calls, that's perfectly fine. I think it is always great to hop on a calendar for a 30 minute to an hour long meeting whenever to talk about strategy. We've done that for both Meta and Google channels where we will just have a meeting on Strategy and where we think we can go, and what we want to try, and what's been working. And do we need to pivot anything? I think it's just the open communication, honestly. That's been super effective from what I've found is just always being available for them and then being available for you and then working together to grow. So
0: that's really what we've seen to be successful. Perfect. It must help the business that you have such a deep knowledge yourself of pay media acquisition. You've done this. Uh, chumps you're doing this for other brands and you can really like go into the detail when you're having those conversations. Most definitely. I think that has been really huge when it comes to the
1: paid media agency, managing both Meta and Google. It's really understanding a lot of the pain points when it comes to what we've talked about earlier in this conversation is how are you acquiring creative? And I always want to feel like I'm giving them too much creative to test because like I've been on the other end of, wanting to run new creative. And I haven't ever been in a situation where I didn't have creative to run, but I think from the standpoint, especially like if you're running TikTok ads and there's a lot of feedback and results that come from, you know, you really need to make sure that you have a constant creative flywheel when you're running TikTok ads because of the ad fatigue. And I always feel like, you know, if we're gonna run TikTok ads and especially even meta ads too, when it comes to, and we're not talking about Google necessarily, but when we're talking about like the visual creative, is basically when do we run out of creative or like how much creative do we have? Do we have enough for the next month? So I think it's just being very much in tune and making sure that the agency has all the creative they could possibly need to run tests so we can test quicker and never really feel like they're asking for more. So I think that's really valuable in my experience so far, working with them. There's no such thing as too much creative
0: basically. No. High quality, but no such thing as too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a trade-off, I imagine. Yeah. You mentioned a bit about new acquisition channels. Part of your role, you're working with a performance marketing manager to find an experiment with new channels. I was going to ask you about channels you found success with recently, but you did mention podcasts as well. So yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah.
1: Podcast as a channel is something that we have confidence internally. There's a lot of belief of Podcast being one that we can really acquire new customers. And speaking also about Chomps as a brand is, from an awareness standpoint, still that complete understanding that it's very much an awareness play as well. People will hear a name, they'll hear the copy that the host is saying or the host read. And if it's something that resonates with them, it's something they could Google search or find in their store nearby. Maybe they've seen it when they walked by on the shelf, and that's completely fine too but we've also seen a lot of really good direct response using the vanity URL of that podcast episode or the podcast host and then the offer code and coming in and buying for first purchase. So we've seen some really good results early on when it comes to the core audiences that we're targeting towards. And you know, we're working with a great agency as well there that's helping make a lot of that, the negotiation process of negotiating CPMs and finding the right shows that work best for chomps and we've seen some really good success so far barely scratched the surface too and i say so that something you're going to be investing more in yeah definitely in 2024 i think across the board too from podcasting or even like direct mail that a lot of other brands are doing as well like a lot of those we will invest in early on in q1 and it's always going to be pressure testing them with spend and finding out what works and always pivoting away, never being afraid to pivot, you know, what's working and what's not working. But we do have a lot of confidence early on that it's been working really well so far. So remains to be seen. It's been working really well so far.
0: Awesome. I'm sure in order to do that successfully, you must have to have a really clear understanding of who your audience is and therefore like what are the types of interests and things that they'll be listening to or that they'll want to listen to a podcast about. How was it that Chomps and maybe the agency as well helped you with creating that audience profile of shared interests and things? Yeah, I have nothing but great things to say about the agency that we're working with because they really do push the envelope when it comes to audiences.
1: So, I mean, that is totally appreciative and we always encourage them to do that, even if we do push back on maybe an audience that they want to target. But they come to the table in the early part of our partnership with them and In launching a lot of these podcast advertising and we did find that a lot of the core audiences that we use are performing really well but we always want to branch out too so we want to branch away from what's our core to see what's out there we really feel like chomps is a snacking brand
0: for everyone as well and we always want to reach new audiences it must be quite interesting especially your role across like growth and retention you have various different data points that you're collecting information about like what creatives are people responding to on paid acquisition? What podcasts are they listening to? And this build up a really interesting and quite built out picture of who your ideal audience is. Yeah, totally. And we really have learned the most from post-purchase surveys.
1: That's really where we are able to slice and dice the data of where the new customers and returning customers are coming from and asking them specific questions about what resonates with them. And then basically backing that up with the demographic information that is filled out in those surveys. And we see basically a 40 to 45% adoption rate and then almost like an 80% completion rate. So we do get a lot of data that is coming through between that 40 and 45. It's pretty spectacular. And we're able to Analyze where people are hearing about us from and then basically put it all together to figure out what type of audience it is and then analyzing it from there. So
0: we've learned a lot from that. Is there anything in that data that has surprised you that maybe you weren't expecting? I can honestly say, probably not
1: surprising, but have learned a lot. One of the questions that we do have on our acquisition new customer survey is how Chomps resonates with you. So we have seen a lot of what was already known about the brand and what people really like about Chomps as being the top responses. So, healthy snack, clean ingredient, higher in protein, and then basically the 100 calories. And so, a lot of that feedback was already basically used in marketing materials, but it is always great to see those as the responses that are the top ones because that's what we're basically nailing it right on the head and understanding
0: that those are correct value props that people are really passionate about. So that's been good. Nice. That must be really validating to hear that both the marketing that you're running is hitting home, but those value props, they wouldn't be able to be described like that by your prospect customers if they didn't resonate in some way. 100%.
1: And then we get a lot of really great data as well because we have the other Box open for people to speak about how it just resonates with them. And so it's always great to download that Excel with all of those thoughts. And we really take those seriously into heart of how people feel. And that really helps us market it properly to other people that feel the same. So that's always been really exciting too. Yeah. Well,
0: as part of the experimentation that you're doing, were there any channels or tactics that you did run that maybe didn't pan out like you had hoped?
1: You know, I don't think that we're at a point yet in running
0: paid media since April
1: that we really have tried anything yet that has not worked, but I think that's more because we've stuck to the core channels. So we've really stuck to Meta and Google as the top two advertising platforms. And then we've dabbled in and started in podcasting when it comes to influencers as well. That's been something that's been running strong since end of 2022 into 2023. So a lot of the channels have been pretty tried and true. I think it's just breaking down each channel, what creative is working in each channel. And then, like we had mentioned in the past, iterating on what creative is working and really growing those cores first before really dabbling in anything unknown or new. So we haven't run any Pinterest advertising. We haven't run any Reddit advertising. We haven't really tried anything outside of the core yet. That's really helped us be very Pointed in where our approach is. That's not to say that we're not going to try something in 2024 if we're seeing a lot of success in those core channels and we are ready to move into other channels. But I think just staying close to the ones that are working so far and not straying too far
0: away. Yeah, that sounds like a sensible, level headed approach to me. That must also be quite an exciting place to be in that, like you'd mentioned earlier, you're just scratching the surface. There is potentially a lot of New stuff that you could be doing that could also be successful going ahead into the next year. How are you going to balance the difference between new channel experimentation and investing in the channels that you do know work really well for you guys?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is just documenting the opportunities. So we always document what new channels we want to try and then what our expected return on that channel would be. And is our audience there? Does our audience resonate with that type of creative? Are they going to resonate with our brand? And then just taking that high level of approach of taking a look at what our expectations are. Are we going to perform well on a new channel? And what is that going to look like? And then if we feel right about that situation, we can always put spend towards it and test and see. I've really always been the type of person that always wants to test first and whenever there's a question of whether something's going to work or not. I know a lot of marketers are like this too, but my response is always, well, let's test it and find out. So I think when it comes to like trying new channels off of the core channels that we are currently running, I think it really just comes down to when's the right time to try it and is it the right move for us? So that's kind of how we approach it. Perfect.
0: Going on to the retention side of your role. So I also did talk to Sophie at Dr. Vegan, who they're a UK supplement brand. She also has a similar remit to you of being in charge of acquiring new customers, but then also once they're acquired, how do you then get the most out of those existing customers, boosting loyalty, repeat revenue, all of that. That must give you a really interesting oversight of the whole customer acquisition journey through to repeat revenue. What do you think are the benefits of working like that? Oh man, I think it's huge. It puts you
1: in the mindset of the customers that you acquire and what channels you acquire them from. I think there's data on the acquisition side that we look at when it comes to new customer CAC and new customer ROAS and new customer revenue versus returning revenue and a lot of the contribution margins and making sure that we're acquiring customers profitably and properly and from the right channels. And then doing the analysis of what's coming from those channels. I think like in the middle between growth and retention is finding out, you know, what the LTV is of those customers, find out what the repeat rate of that channel is, and basically solidifying that we are acquiring the right people. And then I think using retention strategies and tactics in order to get those new customers that we've acquired to in all sense of making that second purchase, basically. Sending out welcome flow, educate the customer about Chomps as a product. If people purchase a certain number of times or a certain number of quantities, always offering that subscription, getting them on subscription to save a little bit and get a reoccurring package at their door. And then from a loyalty standpoint, they can earn points or they can refer a friend for discounts as well. So I think a lot of it is finding the right customer and then taking a lot of that data into our retention. And then I think from my perspective, it's looking at the data on the retention side of what's working as well and really informing what we're doing in growth and the growth side and the acquisition side.
0: What is an example of some of that data that you've taken from retention, which then helped you enhance what you've been doing in growth? Yeah, I think it's open rates
1: and click-through rates on welcome flows. So a new customer that comes in, how does Chomps resonate as a brand? for them to continue purchasing. And then that first to second purchase percentage, how many people are purchasing through email once they've been delivered a second time, if we're trying to retain that customer, and then win back as well. So after 60 or 90 days, if they have not repeat purchase, do we possibly give them another offer to have them try again? Or if they've purchased multiple times, how can we get them on subscription as well? So I think a lot of the, basically email and SMS data that we see of how people are signing up for email program right after
0: first purchase and then seeing how that data kind of plays out. Perfect, okay, thank you. Just got a few closing questions for you now. Your focus on paid acquisition and that space in general changes so rapidly. What are some of your predictions with how it's gonna change in the next year or so? Yeah, I think that Meta and Google will always continue to be the top channels
1: that we see there was always a period of time. And I know from listening to the podcast, there's other previous guests that have talked about TikTok as well. We hope that a lot of the awareness that's brought to the brand on TikTok can also lead to a lot of success when it comes to the conversion based on TikTok. But basically I think for 2024, it's gonna be just another great year of utilizing those top platforms. And especially with a lot of the new AI technology, IFC campaigns and meta, O performance max campaigns on Google, and how we as marketers can use those tools to better our businesses. So I think it's just gonna be a lot of new technology probably coming out in 2024 or new things coming. There's always new things, even the last couple of years from Meta and Google. So it's just
0: what's working and how we can use it to better the brand. Yeah, and with AI in general, it does feel like it's a bit of a brave new world currently. Who knows what we're gonna be talking about in December, 2024. Yeah, exactly. Are there any brands outside of Chomps, of course, that you would go to for inspiration, especially on ad creative or that you think are doing really well with their paid acquisition strategies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chomps being a CPG brand, it is a little bit different.
1: I'm always really fascinated by other CPG brands' creatives. And I think that does really come across because one of the things that we really think about and one thing I think about is when you're advertising a CPG product, For Chomps, for instance, people can't really tell necessarily how it tastes as a first-time user. So how do you express basically a CPG or snacking product in order for it to resonate with the customer to try it for the first time? So a couple of brands, Oats Overnight, I think does an amazing job. I love their UGC content. I love their video type content. And then their static images are amazing. So Oats Overnight is one that definitely take a lot of inspo from, I think even from a site experience standpoint and commercial optimization I love Olipop's site. So they, very similar in the fact that they have a lot of different skews of one product, uh, very similar to Chompson, the fact that we have beef, turkey, and venison, but different flavors and different type of skews. So it's how do you present different type of flavors on one site where someone can pick any flavor that they want? And I think Olipop does a great job of that. And then another one is Catalina Crunch. That's another great CPG business that I've really enjoyed following a lot of their inspiration in the ad library and seeing what's working for them with their flavor launches. So those three for sure is something that I stay super close to. And I'm always impressed by the creative that they're putting out. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you, Matt. That's
0: it for today's episode. Really appreciate you joining. It was super interesting talking to you. Thank you all of you for listening at home and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Ecommerce Marketing 101, How to Grow Your DTC Brand. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the series for actual tips you can use in your own e commerce marketing. This podcast series is brought to you by Dash. If you need to get your visuals in front of potential customers faster or you're sick of spending too much time sending assets to your retail partners, then we might have just what you've been looking for. Take your lead from leading e-commerce brands like Passenger Clothing and check out Dash.app. Just go to Dash.app to take out a free trial and try it for yourself.